bless the Lord. Thank you, Gary and Margaret and Daniel. Bless the Lord. Am I a little bit echoey, maybe? I sound a little bit boomy. George, my, or Spiff, whoever's doing the deal down there, would you turn me down a little? Thank you. Turn with me to the scriptures, to the book of Hebrews chapter 9, please. While you're looking that up, if you remember when the Syria conflict um, started, if you remember, I'd done a, a night on Bible prophecy. I said that it's in the scriptures about Egypt, it's in the scriptures about Syria. And I talked about the nose of Lebanon. And I mentioned three cities before they were attacked. And I said, this is the nose of Lebanon. And I mentioned them. And it was Homs, Aleppo. And of course, Damascus showed you where they were geography and, and, and geographical terms. And talking about that, what I'd done was I said, they'll be attacked but also after that, according to Scripture, it says Damascus shall become a ruinous heap. Well, obviously, with well, all that's going on in Syria, I'm waiting to see what happens and maybe get people together from holidays again. And I want to do a recap again on that message because people are asking about it. And I want to look at also some night on the prophecy of Ishmael's sons. And show you what sort of people they were prophesied to be. And we'll look at that uh, in, in future weeks. But I want to wait till everyone comes. Just so as I don't tell it to. So many people are coming to me and asking me about it. So I will do something with it. So just be patient with me, okay? Let's read Hebrews chapter 9. Beginning to read verse 1. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was a candlestick and a table and showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. That which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the pot, the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of gold, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Keep your Bible open. Let's pray. Father, now take your word and inscribe it on every heart and print it upon every mind. And I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would settle our hearts and cause us to rejoice in thy word. Rejoice in what we are told through your scriptures. And Father, we ask you, Lord, just to, Lord, to let it be settled deep within our being, to be encouraged in our spirits. And Father, may we see Jesus in the midst of all of this and glorify your Son. We ask it in his name and for his glory alone. Amen. The title for my message, I'll, I'll do uh, an introduction tonight. Next week in the Lord's will, we'll get further into it. But the title is The Gospel in a Golden Box. The Gospel in a Golden Box. Verse 4 of our reading says, And had the golden censer, that is in the holiest of all, and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, 
wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. This is the gospel in a golden box. Whenever you were to look at that tabernacle in the wilderness, which the Lord had given the dimensions and the design unto Moses, you had the sanctuary where the first few furniture, objects of furniture were there, which we read at the beginning of our, of our reading this evening. Then behind a curtain, there was this room, 15 foot by 15 foot by 15 foot. In other words, 15 foot in length, 15 foot in breadth, 15 foot height. It was a cube. And inside that little tabernacle cube, or past or behind, later to become, it's in the temple in Jerusalem, Solomon's great temple, later it was become behind the second veil it was known as, which according to scripture, this compartment became known as the Holy of Holies. Or it became known as the most holy place. But in our reading in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 3, it was known as the holiest of all. Now take note of that. Mark it in your Bible. It was known as the holiest of all. Why, we have to ask ourselves, why was this little room called the holiest of all? The holy of holies or the most holy place? Why would it be known as the holiest of all? It's only a compartment. It's only cloth of badger skins. It's a tent and later a temple. But at this point, it's a tent. So, so that I don't have to go back and forward, temple and tent. You, you can understand if I mention the dimensions of what is in them. It was a tabernacle, then a temple later on. So why was this small compartment in the tabernacle? A small compartment or room which was cut off from the people, that is, the people of Israel, which was hidden from all view, which was kept private and secret, which was guarded and separated from all other peoples. In all places it moved to because it moved with Israel. It was taken up like a tent, taken down like a tent and set up like a tent wherever they moved on this golden box called the ark was placed inside that little cubicle, that little compartment. So it was guarded, it was separated from other places, peoples, and even from other rooms, i.e. the outer sanctuary in the tabernacle. But why was it called the holiest of all? For example, what about the great outer court in the temple, where the people were, or the inner court, or the place where the priests and the Levites were busy preparing and ministering and sacrificing animals. Why was it not the most holy place? Why was it not the holy of holies? Why was it not the holiest of all? Why was it this place behind the curtain? And in the, this tabernacle, why was it this 15-foot cubed room? Why did it get such a a title of grandeur? Uh, Why not take it to Mount Sinai, where the dimensions of the tabernacle were given, where the law and the commandments were given to Moses, where God came down in a cloud and spoke with Moses and wrote them with his finger and had written on the tablets. Why would that not be the holiest of all? 
Why not the Red Sea, which the Lord parted from is- for Israel, that they may walk through in dry ground, five abreast? Why not that first, one of the greatest recorded miracles in the whole of Holy Writ? Why not have that, the shores of it? Why not place something there and say, this is the most holy place? Why not where God had most of the Israelites encamped in Egypt and the Egyptians were all around him in the country of Egypt and inside that was the place called Goshen. And in Goshen, there were, there, when there were plagues in Egypt, Goshen was protected by the power of God. When there was darkness in Egypt, Goshen had light in their home. Why not have that place as the holiest of all? Why a little... 15 foot square or 15 foot cubed room. Why not those other places and why this little place behind a veil, hidden behind a curtain, hidden in the heart of a tent, surrounded by badger skin wall. Right around the whole tabernacle was a badger skin wall or a badger skin fence. Why this place of all places? Why? This little one. It was in the heart, right in the middle of the Israelite community, with three tribes to the north, three to the south, three to the east, and three to the west. So it's hidden. Why would they have this? There's no great manifestation of Red Seas opening or plagues being held back. There's none of this taking place. And why would God want this little compartment, this little 15 foot cube room called? The holiest of all. This little room was in the middle of the desert. Sand, dust, dry scrubland, brush, stone, rocks, the hot desert sun. So why would God call it the holiest of all? Surely the question must not only be how this compartment or room, but why this compartment and room should be called it. What makes something holy? What makes something holy? Of all the places on planet earth, I think about the great kingdoms and empires and peoples that were there. Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon, and others were there. Why? Why would God have it in a little 15-foot cube room? Surely he could show his glory. And a great kingdom that war, or a great empire that was already in place. Why would God have this place to be the most holy, the holy of holies, or the holiest of all? The holiest of all, and it was called that, it wasn't because, and it wasn't holy because man had hidden it away. It wasn't holy because man had kept it private and mysterious. And it wasn't holy because it was kept as though it were new, clean, well looked after. And it wasn't holy because it was something precious to man's imagination or man's philosophy or man's psychology. It wasn't holy because it was precious to man's thoughts and his wills and his wishes and his wants and his ideas and his ideals. Because people say, even today, that place is so precious, it's so holy. When it's not, it's holy in their mind. What made this place 
be the holiest of all. Was it, because, it wasn't because it was, as I said, well kept, but yet it was the most holy place. Think about this now. This 15-foot cube room was the most holy place in the whole of planet Earth. The whole of the universe. The only place that came near to being as holy or equal as being as holy as this little room was heaven itself. Was heaven itself. Why would God have this place? How could it be determined to be the holiest of all? When it became a great temple that wasn't holy because of its opulence or magnificence or its splendor splendor, or its grandeur or of its great architecture and the mighty edifice that it was, that didn't make it holy. So why was this place the most holy? This hidden private concealed compartment known as the holiest of all was holier than anywhere else and everywhere else in this whole planet that we live on. What made it holy? Why was it holy? How could it be holy? The tent was taken down and it was removed in the journey of Israel, set back up again, and yet that place, that place where they had moved to, where they had stopped, where they had settled, became again afresh, anew, the most holy, or the holiest of all, the holy of holies. What made it holy? This is what made it holy, simple. It was the gospel and the golden box. It was the gospel in the golden box. This box, this ark as we call it, was placed It was most important and it was most vital, not only in the tabernacle, but later in the temple. And it was also the hope of Israel, Israel, the help of Israel, and the heritage of Israel. Here's the thing. When the priest took the staffs and put it through the rings at the side of this little golden box and carried it on their shoulders, they had to carry it when they walked 2,000 cubits ahead of Israel. In other words, when they came, when Moses died and Joshua brought them to the banks of the River Jordan, they were 2,000 cubits, a cubit's about 18 inches. And they had to be 2,000 cubits ahead. In other words, that led the way, the people kept their eyes on it, the people followed it, where it went, they went, whithersoever it goes, they go. And when it got down to the very water's edge, at the swelling of Jordan, Jordan itself opened itself up to this gospel in a golden box. The River Jordan parted like the Red Sea. 2,000 cubits ahead, it had prepared the way for Israel. It had prepared the way for God's people. It had opened the river. It had caused them to be able to walk through on dry ground again to the other side. That little gospel in that little golden box went ahead of them, led the way for them, prepared for them, had provision for them, and brought deliverance for them. 
And when they stopped and put up that tabernacle, in that 15-foot cube room went the golden box which retained the gospel. God said unto Moses concerning this Ark of the Covenant as it's known. And we read about it in Hebrews 9 and verse 4, what it was like, in other words, what it contained. But God said in Exodus 29 and verse 42, listen to what he says, talking about when you come to that curtain. Moses, don't cross it. Stand and listen. God says, listen to my voice. Hear what I have to say. And Moses came, as it were, to the door, to the curtain door. And we're told the glory of God came down from heaven. Between the cherubim, that is, two angels on the lid of the golden box, the ark of the covenant. And the glory of God that is in heaven came down between those cherubims and God himself visited the people and spoke the audible word that the people may be directed in the ways which they were to go. That's what made this little room the most holy of all. It wasn't that they sprinkled it with water They didn't take, as you see even today, come and get your miracle spring water. Folks, we just need nothing else but the power of the living God and our Lord Jesus Christ through him flowing to his people. That's what we need. This gospel in a golden box. Listen to what God said to Moses. Exodus 29 verse 42. And he says, I will meet you. To speak there unto thee. Notice what God said to Moses. Do you want to speak to me, Moses? Do you want to meet me, Moses? Do you want to hear my my voice, Moses? Do you want to know where to go next? Do you want to know how to handle the situation? Do you want to know what to do for your life and for the people that you're leading? Do you want to really know? Then meet me where the gospel is in a golden box. He says, I'll meet you there. Now that's a date you won't want to miss. Listen to what he says also in verse 43. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So why, Lord, was it not Goshen? You know why the Lord says? Because the Lord's presence wasn't in Goshen anymore. Why not the Red Sea? Because the Lord said, my presence isn't at the Red Sea anymore. They are past experiences What about Mount Sinai, Lord? He says, because my presence isn't on Mount Sinai anymore. And you and I seek for the things that God has done in the past. You and I look for the wonders of glory that God has done in bygone year and day. Instead of experiencing 
what God wants to do in you, for you, and through you today. Not tomorrow, but God is real. God is alive. God is all-powerful, living and moving and willing to meet you now. To meet you here and now. And how do you meet him? God says, when you come to my son, I will meet you there. And I will speak unto thee. The only way a man can come to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And experiences can grow still. Yesterday's manna was yesterday's manna. Yesterday's glory was yesterday's glory. Yesterday's miracle was yesterday's miracle. But yesterday's God is the same today. He is the same wonder-working God. And he says, if you want to meet me, then you meet me. The box, that is the gospel in the golden box. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. You and I might say, how do we work out that Christ is foreshadowed, was foreshadowed by this ark of the covenant? How do we work out that Christ was foreshadowed by this ark in a golden box? This ark of the covenant, or this gospel, rather, in a golden box. Everything in the New Testament to God's glory and redemption is a foreshadowing of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know that there are those who take this Ark of the Covenant and try and relate it to other things. For example, the Roman Catholic Church say the Ark of the Covenant was a foreshadowing of the coming of Mary. Now, that's not true. This Ark, this golden covered box, was a foreshadowing of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God meets you nowhere else, sir. I want to say it again. God meets you nowhere else, sir. God meets you nowhere else, lady, friend. God will meet you nowhere else but in his Son. But in his Son. It's there he speaks to us. And it's there he leads us and guides us. When Moses was in the backside of the desert, we know the story. He was looking after Jethro, his father-in-law's flock. And there was a, a burning bush, and he turns aside to see it. And the Lord says to Moses, calls out from the bush, Exodus 3 and verse 5, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moses is walking in the desert. There's nothing but rock and sand and scrub and, uh, and brush land and all these sort of things, the heat of the day. And he's seeing bushes going on fire all the time because they're brittle, they're dry, and the heat of the sun causes them to, to combust into flames. So what's new about this one is it was burning, but it was not consumed. He turns aside. God calls out of the bush and says, The place where you are standing is holy ground. But Lord, this is sand. It's holy ground. This is desert. It's holy ground. 
What made it holy was the presence of the Lord. What made it holy was the presence of the Lord. How close did Moses get to that bush or that tree that was burning before God said, take your shoes off before you come any closer? I don't know. So how far did that immediate holiness, as it were, go? I don't know. Was it 15 foot? Like the cube of that room in the tabernacle? But nevertheless, the the desert becomes holy. Because Almighty God is there. The word holy is the word hokadesh. And it means, gives the idea of a sanctuary. Something that is dedicated. Something that is hallowed. Something that is consecrated. Moses, take your shoes from off your feet. Because my presence has made this desert a sanctuary. It's dedicated unto me. find out later that Jerusalem became known as the holy city, the city of the great king, the city of God. And it became that because the temple was there. And in the temple then, of course, we had the most holy, the holiest of all, because this gospel in a golden box was placed there also. But folks, I want to tell you something that people forget. When our Lord Jesus Christ came, and they call for his blood. And the Jewish crowds cried, crucify him, away with him, away with him. I have something to tell you, Jerusalem became an unholy place because they cast out the Lord Jesus Christ. People forget that. They don't like to remember, remind, remember themselves of these things. It became unholy because it cast out Christ. Where Jesus is, it's his heaven there. Heaven coming to earth. Heaven coming to earth. I'll say it again. Heaven Come to earth, makes that place holy. And what became holy was when the 120 were in the upper room. And there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind coming from heaven. And the Spirit of God came in and sat upon their heads like cloven tongues as of fire and filled every one of them with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they became the heaven on earth, the holy place on earth. Christian, if you are saved, blood-washed and blood-bought and filled with the Spirit of God, then I have something to tell you. Not your flesh, but the Spirit of God in you. That is the holiest place in the whole of this entire earth. Heaven has come to earth to dwell in the hearts of men and of women. You're not holy of yourself. You're holy because of the one who dwells in you. And the man and the woman outside of Christ are unholy. No matter their doings, no matter their dealings, no matter their tryings, they're unholy without Christ in their life. Here we have 
the Lord tells Moses, the desert's holy, Jerusalem becomes holy, then unholy because the book of Hebrews says of our Lord Jesus Christ that they crucified him, they cast him out, outside the camp or outside the city walls. Outside, they put the Holy One. He who the Ark of the Covenant was a foreshadowing, was a picture, was, was, a, was, was a foretelling of God that was to come. Now He comes and the full holiness where you and I alone can meet God was cast outside Jerusalem's walls and crucified and left to bleed and die. Book of Hebrews says, He was cast outside the camp, outside the gate. You and I become holy from the day of Pentecost, and heaven dwells in you. Holy of all or holy of holies, it's a superlative term, for example, God is the God of gods. Christ is the King of kings. We know there is no other gods but the one true living God. I mean, small gods, men's imaginations of God, and and, and demon spirits who pretend they're a God and think they're a God. But there's only one true living God. And our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one and only true living God, the God of Israel. He is Almighty God, and he is the God above all other gods. And Christ is the king above all other kings and he is the Lord above all other lords. And it's the same here. This little room, this cube, 15 square cube room with the gospel and a golden box in it, it became the most holiest place on the whole of planet earth. The most holiest place. The Ark of the Covenant as the gospel in the golden box, for it was a foreshadowing and a type of God on earth. The tabernacle, and that room inside the tabernacle, and that gospel in the ark, or the golden box inside it, that became the most holiest place on earth. And God tabernacled at times with men. God tabernacled at times with men. I have something to tell you about Revelation chapter 21. Speaking of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the setting up of his marvelous kingdom at his second coming, it tells us that Christ will rule and reign for millennium, a thousand years, then we will move into that aeon of eons of time for eternity with the Lord. And we're told that the the, the tabernacle of God is with men. The bodily tabernacle of the fullness of the Godhead and flesh. Christ himself will be the king above kings, the Lord above all lords, the God above all other small g gods. And he will live and tabernacle among us. And we shall see him and we shall be like him. But friend, if you're not saved, you'll not be there. I want to just look at something before I close. You know, time's already flowing. But let's just look at this for a few moments. Give me a few moments and we'll wrap this up and let you get home. Look at verse 1, please, of our reading. Hebrews 9 and verse 1. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine services and a worldly 
sanctuary. The idea here of divine service, ordinances of divine services, gives the idea that the people serve the Lord. The people made, as it were, a place for God to come in. In other words, they made room for God. There's many of us have no room for God. In our, in our private lives, there's no room for God. In our worship experience in church, there's no room for God. If we're standing worshiping for any more than 10 minutes, we're complaining. Yet we can stand for an hour and a half at a football match and cheer on men, kicking a ball. In the freezing cold with our scarves on and, and foul language everywhere. And we think there's nothing wrong with it. And yet, when we stand to praise God, 10 to 15 minutes, people are saying there's no room for Him. There's no room for Him. Or we can sit and watch a TV for hours. Or do whatever we, 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 we will for hours and end. But where is the room for God in our lives? The idea here is there were ordinances that God had set and gave to Moses. He says, you do this and I'll come. Now you do this and I'll come. Here's your test of faith. Believing my bare word, you do it and I will come. And brothers and sisters, when we meet together or whether you go to your study room or wherever you are in the house or wherever you may be, if you leave room for God, he will come. If you leave room for God in your life, he'll come. It means that they were doing according to God's word as he he as he willed them to do. And the ordinance of divine service were that they would tend to the word of God and God would keep his promise and God would come, just as he said. The worldly sanctuary here does not mean it's in an evil connotation. We think of worldliness and it's usually opposite to spirituality and it means it's an evil connotation. The idea here doesn't mean that. The word worldly here, it gives the idea, the Greek word is the word cosmicon. Cosmicon. And and it gives the idea that it was set like that for God to come. I will meet you, he says, if you do it. Well then, let's do it, Lord. We want to meet with you. Let's do it. We'll meet with him. Trusting God and his promise and his word. The word cosmicon translated into the Hebrew word is the word shilo shamu, shamhu. Do you know what it means? Thinking of this 15 foot square cubed room with this gospel in a golden box, you know what it means? It means all his world is in this place. I want you to get that. In that little cube room with the Ark of the Covenant in it, it means all his world is in this place. When God Almighty saw their will to do his will, when God Almighty saw their obedience unto his word, when God Almighty saw them leave room for him, what happened? God himself 
came down in glory and all his world came to their world. That's the idea of it. My prayer is that all your world, Father, would come into our world. Because in his world, there's no tears. In his world, there's no mourning. In his world, there's no sickness. In his world, there's no fretting and anxieties and depressions. In his world, there's no dying. There's no separation from loved ones. In his world. But I want to tell you, according to the authority of God's word, his world in his fullness is coming to planet earth. God's going to roll back the skies like a scroll. His son will appear in glory. And his world will invade our world when Jesus comes again. Let's make room for him. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. But here's the thing. Since you and I are saved... Since you and I are the ones who have met God in Christ, and since his spirit has come to dwell, to be happy, to be settled in us, that means his kingdom has come in you and I as ambassadors, sons and daughters of the living God. Is it any wonder our Lord prayed, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me close with this. Thank you for your attention. It's tremendous. If a man and a woman wants to meet Almighty God, if a man or a woman wants to get saved, they must do it his way. You can't come your way. It has to be his way. Meet me, Moses, at the Ark of the Covenant. Meet me where the gospel is in a golden box. What do I mean the gospel's in a golden box? If you come next week, I'll tell you. I have loads of it to tell you. This is only the introduction. The gospel is in that golden box, yes. The full gospel you see that golden box? It was made of sitting wood or acacia wood as it's called. Do you see the acacia tree? That acacia tree, when you take that, it's a thorny tree. And it's believed that the crown of thorns that were placed upon our Lord's head could have possibly come from the same type of tree. When you look at the bark and start stripping it back, the bark of the acacia tree is red, just like his precious blood. The bark and the gum, when you cut the tree, when you hit the tree, there's a gum comes out of it. And guess what? It's like the riven side of Christ. And the very wood itself, the bark, the gum, and the very wood itself, You know what it was used for? For healing all diseases. This bark was a type 
looking 2,000 years or 1,000 years into 1,500 years to the future of the prophesied, the one that was to come, the Savior of the world, the Redeemer of Israel and the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. The acacia wood speaks of his humanity. The overlaying gold speaks of his deity. Humanity and deity, the dual nature of Christ. And that's why if you come to him, that's the only way you can meet God. That's the only way you can get right with God. That's the only way you can be saved. That's the only way you can hear from God. That's the only way. The gospel is wrapped up, is fulfilled, is completed. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And he is our soon coming king. All wrapped up in him. And in this box was the gospel of your salvation, of resurrection, of provision. All wrapped up in this box. How do you work that out? I'll tell you next week. That's just the introduction. I'll tell you next week. I hope I've got you intrigued. This is just the start. Just the start. And he says, that's the most holy place of all. You know why? Because it spoke about Jesus. Every time Israel carried it on their shoulders, those priests looking 2,000 cubits ahead, it spoke about the coming of Jesus. It spoke about the shepherd leading the sheep. It spoke about the provision of Jesus. It spoke about the deliverance of Jesus. It spoke about salvation in Jesus. It spoke about them. And he says in the book of Revelation, and they followed him whithersoever the lamb would go. I hope you know Jesus tonight. For the Lord says, you want saved? Come to Jesus. I'll meet you. And I'll speak to you there. God's speaking to his people tonight. And God is speaking to hearts. I pray that we will meet him, even in this place. You know, when we gathered together, we had a prayer meeting up the back before we came down. And as soon as we bowed our heads in prayer and started to praise, and we sing up there, and we, we pray with all our hearts, you know, and pray in the spirit as well, and and whenever we start to do that, you can just sense him come. That wee room becomes, I can say one, because I'm sure there's many other places where God's people meet together. And it becomes the most holy place of all. Not because of us, because he comes. And when we gather here to praise, this becomes the most holy place of all. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, washed in the blood, save for eternity. Bless his name. I'm going to go home. Thank you for your attention tonight. It's been tremendous. I don't know if you're away tomorrow to enjoy your bank holiday or not, but God bless you wherever you go.